The Holy Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this weekend we have um, sort of a festival of really important major uh, Bible verses. We first heard Caitlin read uh, that reading from Ephesians, which is one of the foundational readings. Uh, for those of us who are Lutheran, it's one of the interpretive lenses we use to read the rest of the Bible, for by grace you have been saved, and this is not your own works, so that no one may boast. So there was that. And then um, Jim, in the voice of God, um, <laughs> read for us uh, only the most important uh, verse in the New Testament, John 3.16. So, you know, on a weekend like this, when you've got such an abundance of riches, um, my impulse is to zero in and focus on one very specific thing. Um, Pastor Matheson preached uh, last Wednesday at our midweek service, and she mentioned during this uh, series we're doing on Jonah, that the entirety of Jonah's sermon was five words in Hebrews, um, so that this doesn't turn into a sermon of 5,000 words. Again, I wanna just focus on one particular thing. So we're gonna do a a bit of a Bible study to begin with, leading us to just sort of a basic question that I wanna lift up. I don't expect you to answer the question this morning. It's something more for you to reflect on throughout Lent and even beyond. So let's start with the Bible study though, and I'm gonna have you turn uh, to that very famous passage from John, the third chapter. This is on page 968. Um, While you're turning to that, I'll remind you that, uh, of course, we know John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so that all who believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What we sometimes forget is that that comes in the context of a conversation with a gentleman named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, so a very important, um, influential man. He, he, actually, he, Nicodemus, was a fan of Jesus. He liked Jesus, but he also recognized that it was risky for him, Nicodemus, to be seen with Jesus. So he goes to, to Jesus at night. 
and they have a, a long, wide-ranging conversation. Uh, immediately before this reading is the discussion about being born from above or being born again, which is its very own uh, sermon or sermon series. But the, the, where I want to draw our attention this morning is the very beginning of the reading we heard today, which starts not with John 3.16, but with John 3.14, which reads this. Again, this is page 968. And, just, and again, this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, we're going to look at the story that Jesus is referencing here, but um, Jesus, a Jew, is speaking to Nicodemus, another Jew. They both would have been familiar with the story he's referencing when Moses lifts up the serpent in the wilderness, which saves lies, lives. And Jesus is saying, so must I, Jesus, be lifted up. Uh, and in John here, that lifted up has a double meaning. It means literally lifted up on the cross, uh, as Rachel just mentioned in the children's sermon, but also uh, metaphorically uh, to be lifted up in the, in the sense of being exalted. Uh, that through my death and resurrection, I, the Son of God, will also save lives. I will save people just as Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness saved people. So that's the parallel Jesus is making between what he will do and the story in the Old Testament. Now, let's look at that story uh, in the Old Testament. Again, you're welcome to join on the page if you want. It's on, uh, this is the book of Numbers. It's page uh, 138. So a lot earlier in the Bible, um, in the first five books of the Bible. Um, as you're turning to that again, page 138, uh, this is part of the story of the Exodus. It's the story of the, the Hebrew people being freed from slavery in Egypt, one of the most important stories in the Old Testament. Moses has freed them, of course. Now they're out in the wilderness. They've been out in the wilderness for a while, and they are not happy. And the Bible is actually very sort of transparent about that. Um, and I just, I'll start there actually. This is uh, chapter 21, verse 5. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Very, they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're whining. I kind of love this line. Uh, there is no food, and we detest this miserable food. So something isn't quite right there. They clearly have something to eat. They just don't like it very much. So this is part of the sort of ongoing pattern between the people, the Hebrew people and Moses. And so they're complaining, and then we get this uh, scene out of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Anyone remember that movie? And Indy is in the, the, the um, what do you call it, the tomb, and all the snakes come. What do you call a bunch of snakes, by the way? It's not a gaggle. I don't know. A swarm? What? A swarm? Okay, we'll go with swarm. Um, I don't think that's right, but someone could... Anyway, there's a whole bunch of snakes, um, and now the people are no longer whining. Now they're interested in getting some help. Um, the people, verse 7, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a poisonous serpent in bronze, it doesn't make that clear right away, uh, and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. Okay, so that's the story um, Jesus is referencing there in John 3:14. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it up a, 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 upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. So this is a really important moment in the life of the people, of, of uh, the Hebrew people, 
Uh, it's a moment when God literally saves their lives, right? God does. The serpent doesn't. The bronze serpent doesn't. It's a tool. But it's still an important tool. So what do you suppose the people do with that bronze serpent? You, I'll make it a, a, a multiple choice. Do you think they just discard it and throw it away, or do you think they keep it? Yeah, yes, you guys were here before, but yes. Uh, they keep it, and it's appropriate. Again, it's a really, it's a monumental moment in the life of these people. It's a relic now to remind them of God's love. And so they save it, right? And that's okay until it isn't. And the last verse I want to draw your attention to uh, is from part of the history of Israel, and this is in the book of 2 Kings, uh, and I'll have you turn now to page 346. So 2 Kings 346, they have indeed saved this bronze serpent. They use it to remember uh, God's love for them. But eventually it becomes clear to one of the leaders of Israel, a king named Hezekiah, who I'm going to read about in a second, that now centuries later this bronze serpent is no longer uh, helping people in their relationship with God, but instead is getting in the way of their relationship with God. It has become, in biblical terms, an idol. It is something that people are worshiping for its own sake rather than to point uh, them to God. So, it says in chapter 18, again this is page 346, verse 4, chapter 18, verse 4, Hezekiah removed a number of things from the temple, the high places, broke down the pillars and cut down the sacred pole, and then this, he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. So Hezekiah recognizes that uh, they are there to worship God, not to worship idols, but this bronze serpent has become an idol and has now, it's, it's getting in the way of worshiping God. Does that make sense? Okay, so this leads to that fundamental question, which is, again, it's a question worth reflecting on uh, during Lent and for our lives. And the question is, what are the idols in your life? Now you would notice I did not ask, do you have any idols in your life? I am going to assume that all of us have idols in our lives. That is reinforced uh, by nothing less than the Ten Commandments. Pastor Schmid talked about the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments last week. I'll remind you the Ten Commandments open with, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you shall not create idols. You shall not get something that is put between me and God. Why does it appear so high in the Ten Commandments? Because it's a problem for us as human beings. It's an ongoing problem. One of the ways to read the Bible, actually, is an is ongoing narrative that is reminding us God is God, other things are not. Don't put something in the place of God that is not God. Does anyone struggle with that, ever? Oh, come on, you all. So the Ten Commandments remind us of that. Now, the, the important thing about this Bible story is there are certain things that we all sort of assume are I idols or become idols. Fame, power, wealth, riches, 
Um, which, by the way, I want to be clear, those things on, by themselves are not negative. They're neutral, but because we're sinful people, uh, they can end up being negatives. But those are the kind of things that we assume stand in the way of God. The Bible study, little mini Bible study this morning, morning reminds us that even good things, even religious things, can become idols. Even something like a bronze snake that once saved lives can become an idol. I would submit this morning that the Bible itself can become an idol. Has anyone ever had someone use the Bible as a weapon uh, against you? Whenever, whenever we're using the Bible sort of to our own ends so that we feel superior, whenever we're hitting up someone upside the head with it metaphorically, rather than using it to point to God's love, the Bible is not doing its correct job. It has become an idol. I would argue that as Lutherans, uh, sometimes that passage from Ephesians uh, becomes an idol. You know, again, the passage is a beautiful thing. It reminds us that God loves us and that we cannot save ourselves, that it is God's initiative. But uh, when we read it legalistically, it can get in the way of our loving relationship with God and of what God expects from us. Uh, The Bible, that passage ends that we were made from the beginning of time for the sake of good works. And yet, as the old saw, there's an old joke about the man who was a lifelong Lutheran, and at his funeral, someone got up and said, he was such a good Lutheran, he never did a good work in his whole life. (laughs) For him, the passage became an idol. That's not the point, right? So today, the invitation... Think about, reflect on what are the idols in your life. Um, And if you don't know what they are, which is part of the reason they become idols, we are blind to them, then pray to God to open your eyes to see them more clearly and then to give you the power to destroy them. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Holy God, we come here because we believe you want to be in relationship with us We pray this morning that you would remove those things, some of them things that we assume are good, that get in the way of that relationship, and give us the strength with your help to break them up. In all this we pray, in the holy name of Jesus, amen.